Welcome to the Daily Canon Podcast. Here to talk all things Arsenal is your host, Matthew Wade. Hello again, listeners. Welcome to another Daily Canon Weekly Podcast. Not quite as celebratory as the last Daily Canon Weekly Podcast, which is uh, yeah, it's hard to top beating Liverpool and Man City in the same week. But nonetheless, to talk about the week that was, and more importantly, the week that's coming up, Joining me is, as always, all the way from Croatia, Anita Sambol. How are you, Anita? Hello, hello. That's a nice summation of the past week. <laughs> <laughs> After the highs we had with Liverpool and City, to be, you know, tired of boredom and losing against Aston Villa and then the Watford match over the weekend, yeah. Not something spectacular, but a lot to look forward to. Yes, Paul was lucky enough to be missing the Aston Villa game uh, because of... Uh, his wedding uh, anniversary. <laughs> so, uh, uh, happy birthday to Paul! I have to say because we all forgot that he was it was his birthday. So, I'm so sorry, Paul. Happy, happy, happy birthday to you! And I'm doubly guilty because we actually talked about it last week on air. <laughs> but anyway, uh, so yeah, sorry, Paul, but uh, we'll make it up to you somehow. I think, uh, hopefully, by winning a cup final. But before we get on to that. Um, as you say, the Aston Villa game was a was a, a bit of a come down uh, after everything of the week before. I suppose there's no great merit in going into it in detail, but did you expect such a come down? Well, I mean, I didn't expect it going going into it, you know, in the run up to the match and the day before. But when the lineup came out with uh, Arteta resting a few key players like Chaka and uh, some others, you know half expected it but i didn't expect us to lose i still thought that those i always think that you know that players that don't get as much chance chances in the starting lineup that they will go out and fight for their place and you know play the best that they can and then that obviously doesn't happen <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah i didn't expect that but it, it it didn't surprise me that much i didn't put so much importance on that match because there was nothing to play for on on our side and Aston Villa had a lot to play for which they definitely showed on the pitch so I didn't didn't give much importance to that that result in particular Yeah and to be honest I think we all all sort of expected uh, that slight after the Lord's Mayor's show feel it was just a case of trying to ascertain to what degree you know after the you could see the physical and emotional effort that the Arsenal players had put into the, the the two victories the previous week, and let's face it, they were great victories, albeit different to each other, but you know, very credible victories, which which were built more on work rate than than shall we say attacking brilliance. Um, and there was always going to be a rotation of players. I mean, I, I know that some people, when the team's lineups were came out, were questioning some of the selection, but ultimately. You know, you you can't play everyone every game when the games are two games a week every week for you know for such a short space of time. Especially uh, after they have been off for what two months. Exactly, and particularly as there were there were two specific, especially draining games uh, the week before, and ultimately with the paucity of the squad and the and the injuries and the non-injured absentees. Um, there was always going to be uh, a, a bit of a mishmash lineup. Obviously, 
it was a bit of a shame Reese Nelson had a minor injury because obviously he would have started on the right as a, and either Enketi would have been on the bench or would have started through the middle. And, you know, I mean, I think it proved to no one's great surprise that Enketi doesn't work on the right and that Lacazette was knackered. Neither of these things, I think, should have been a shock to anyone. But obviously Pepe had also worked very, very hard at the weekend and, and the club is still sort of managing getting him up to Premier League full fitness, I guess. Um, and then elsewhere, the rotations, you know, they were always going to rotate players in defence. Uh, you know, obviously, obviously there we've already got injuries in those roles, but also, you know, our full-backs simply can't play every single game with the, the amount of physical demands that are placed on them by the the current system and, and you know when the games are this so tight so tightly together which is partly why both Man City and uh, to a degree Arsenal's under Zaratetta have started accumulating full backs um, although I don't know quite what what monkey spleens or whatever that the Liverpool full backs get given but they seem to be able to play uh, every week at an incredible level of uh, intensity but that's uh, another matter uh, and you know uh Granite Xhaka getting a rest was no one's surprise. He'd played almost every minute he'd been fit for, uh, for most of the season, frankly, except when he was out of favour. And Torreira coming back from in injury, he needed the minutes in his legs, and by God did he show how much he needed the minutes because he was he was god awful against Aston Villa, and, and and you know, I think I think a lot of people are learning about the limitations to to Lucas Torreira, but. Uh, you can also tell that he's not even back to a base level yet. Um, I mean, was there anything that's about individual performances from the Villa game that stood out for you, or or is it kind of sort of meaningless in your mind? Well, I think in, in general, the, this match showed more what we knew is wrong with this team, what is missing, what is a problem, what has to be addressed, rather than you know a showcase of uh, individual performance and something like that. We have all seen... How exactly, do, how important exactly Rani Chaka is for this team and for everything that's happening in this in in the midfield of this team. Uh, we we've seen that said Kolasinac definitely has to go. <laughs> there shouldn't be a room for him in in this team. Mm. And as you already mentioned, Lucas Torreira is definitely not the shade of himself that we kind of you know fondly remember from those few matches before yeah. he had that injury. And from his days at Sampdoria, I'm I'm a bit torn. You know, I'm not sure if he will get back to it. If he's if he's still you know struggling, recovering from the injury of, or if we should perhaps cash cash out on him and get some funds for for the team because I think that we could still get some some money for him in the transfer market and perhaps in in you know use it somewhere else. Yeah, he's certainly a player, which is one of those ones we're going to have to make a decision about. Uh, I mean, you look at Torreira's performances both under Emery and Arteta this season, and it's kind of hard to reconcile them with, you know, lest we forget the first half of last season, everyone was raving about this new tigerish ball-winning midfielder. He, I think he won four or five Man of the Match awards in a row at one point during our unbeaten run. Um and he was really looking as though he might be a solution to a long-term problem position. But those days... He still feels like a fan favourite when you look on social media. But as each match goes on and he gets more chances, more minutes, I see more and more people 
going like, oh, yeah, he's not what we remember him. Like, mm. yeah. yeah, as you say, the, the tide of public opinion is starting to turn there a bit. And while while he hasn't reached a point of vilification uh, by any stretch, you know, the fans haven't turned on him, there's certainly the, the numbers of people who are sort of backing him, really. I, I think... I think the majority feeling at the moment it seems to be a bit of ambivalence, sort of we're not sure if he's actually what we need, but at the same time there's not any kind of demanding that he goes kind of thing. Um, yeah, exactly. I don't think that there would be any kind of, you know, uh, attack from fans like we had seen on Granit Xhaka when the incident happened. And mm. Because he just seems like a different kind of player uh, and he... When he came, he seemed like, yes, that's exactly the kind of player that we need in this team. The he is filling all the all the gaps that we have created over over the past few years, and then that injury and everything that has happened, Corona and all of that. So, I'm I'm not sure, but then I think if there wasn't coronavirus, I don't think he would get to play for the rest of the season. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um... And then I guess we would give him a chance for another season. But now I'm torn a bit. Yeah, well, I, I think some of it comes to the uncertainty, and we'll talk about this more as we go along, but we're still trying to work out what... We know what Arteta is doing at the moment is not really what he wants to do. He's doing it because, you know, he's trying to stop this team being a defensive calamity. Mm-hmm. Uh, and... Uh, we're still, you know, we don't really have a strong indication yet about what he actually would do if he had the choice to mould his squad a bit more. So, you know, there's lots of people have been speculating he wants to go for a system with a, a deep-lying midfielder and then two slightly more um, flexible midfielders that could, you know, be eights who can also potentially do moments as a ten, you know, further forward. And maybe Torreira could be effective in that system, sort of sweeping up behind, covering smaller distances... Because one thing I think we've seen really with him is that, and the Villa game is a perfect illustration, that he's a player that has very limited creativity in his passing. He's a quick passer, a snappy passer. Uh, his his excellence is win the ball in small areas and, and play it quickly to someone between 10, 15, 20 yards and, yeah. and keep things going. But in the absence of anyone ahead of him in midfield, you know, he's then got to pass it 40 yards to Lacazette. And that's not really uh, something that he's found able to do since this, well, in, in the few months, actually, even before his injury. Yeah. Um, and, the, the, the you know, I'm not going to bring up the kind of Mesut Ozil-shaped hole because is it actually a Mesut Ozil-shaped hole or is it just a midfielder that plays in between the lines, whoever they are, shaped hole, which I think is probably more accurate. <laughs> Um, and so, he, so his passing options tend to be either out to the full-back or wing-back or a side to whoever he's partnering in central midfield because he, he doesn't seem to have the range of passing to, to, to push beyond that. And that's a problem we're seeing throughout the team at the moment, but I think it, it particularly affects him. And I suppose the question is, is, does Arteta see him in that more defensive sweeping role as having the physical qualities necessary for the Premier League? Uh, and that's something that we're still trying to work out. I mean, obviously, he's not going to win too many balls in the air, but we have seen in close quarters and in short spaces he can be an effective ball winner. So I think what 
is decided about Lucas Torreira will tell us a lot about Mikel Arteta's vision going forward. Because as you say, there would probably still be teams interested because of what he'd showed before at Sampdoria. Um, so I guess it's watch this space. Uh, <laughs> as you say, said Klasnach hasn't exactly reco- recovered from his previous time in the way that some other players have. And um, and in, and with Mustafi being somehow picking up a very serious injury in what looked a relatively inno- innocuous situation. Yeah, uh, it was really, really odd. And I've seen someone tweet... Uh, this is 2020, something like that hashtag going around. When hmm. you, you miss Mustafa in your defense. <laughs> yeah, well, indeed, yeah. <laughs> reality we are in right now. <laughs> but it's you know obviously the fact that his absence is being felt is a ref- is a reflection of his upturn in form and how yeah. and how Arteta has been able to give him a confidence and a structure that allows him to be more effective despite the occasional ricket, which is always going to be in his game. Um, yeah, but the fact is he's better at pushing out wide to be that covering defender than some of our other options. Um, you know, other options, we've got Holding, who's better in his box, but not as good as soon as you get him outside of his box defensively. And then, or you've got Socrates, who can cover ground quite effectively, but passes the ball like a, I don't know, like a brick wall. Yeah, I was like uh, 99% sure that we were getting rid of Socrates over, over this transfer window, and then he comes out yep. yesterday or today saying oh no 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 no! I'm fine here <laughs> yeah I mean I'm not playing but uh yeah, no, no one else I, has given me 90 grand a week so <laughs> who wouldn't mind that <laughs> well it's this weird situation isn't it because of the complete lack of any cohesive squad building before we have a situation where we're gonna have like seven centre-backs and still need to get another one in because we've got, you know, some will be injured and there'll be some that we can't get rid of. You know, uh, it's... Uh, David Luiz. And David Luiz, who is... I mean, I'm, I'm just, I'm still not sure, sure about him because, yeah, okay, he got a new contract. He can be our, you know, teacher for for the young ones, for, for Saliwa and, <laughs> and mm. others coming up. But then he goes and does, what, five penalties uh, over this this season or six even? I think it's five in the Premier League. I don't know if there were any other competitions. And other, you know, stupid stuff. It's not always just on him. I I wasn't. He's been the... he's been dropped in the shit a few times. Yes. <laughs> yeah, didn't watch the Watford match, but there were comments that uh, it was more holding to blame than than David Luiz for for the penalty. But still, no. Well, we're moving on to the Watford game because I mean, frankly, uh, there's nothing to say about the Villa game except for the fact that we had a lot of the ball and could do nothing with it. And considered from a set piece once again. And considered from a set piece once again. It's like two or three years last. <laughs> it's 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 odd though, isn't it? Because I think either it was Wenger's last season or his penultimate season, I can't remember which, like we'd suddenly over the case of like eight months or something turned ourselves into the best set piece defending team in the league. <laughs> and and then suddenly we can't defend set pieces for shit. And we're even worse at it than like we even were beforehand. You know, when everyone was talking about it being a weakness, we weren't actually as bad as we are now when it comes to defending set pieces. Uh, so, uh, which you know, when you're playing three centre backs and two holding midfielders, is <laughs> hardly confidence building. Um, but yeah, I mean, Villa probably slightly outplayed us in that they were more driven in key moments and were more dynamic in a couple of situations. I mean, it was just an 
it was one of the worst games of football I've seen in an Arsenal team play in for both teams. You know, Villa lacked of quality, but Grealish was driving them forward and they scored a, a decent finish from an, a, an, an OK-ish chance. And Arsenal huffed and puffed and hit the post from a, Eddie hit it from a Pepe corner and that was your lot. Um, and then when we started trying to chase the game a bit, we looked defensively weak as it seems to be the the theme as soon as we as soon as we go to four at the back our four doesn't know what the hell it's doing um so which is why of course we start against Watford with four at the back (laughs) which for the first half kind of worked uh and then actually it wasn't until we changed our system that we fell apart a bit defensively although of course we did concede the penalty before half time um I know that you didn't get to watch the Watford game yeah, I was I was following on Twitter. I was mm. in, in the car driving around, and <laughs> uh, it was really you know we were training up, and you would see tweets. Oh, how are we gonna mess this up when hmm. we would come back? You are just waiting for Trodini to score, <laughs> and I mean three two in the second half. Start to worry. <laughs> yeah, I mean for obviously Arsenal going forward in that second half still were looking dangerous and, and wasted a few opportunities or a bit unlucky in a couple of situations. And, you know, there was, as Arteta commented, perhaps two or three players who were more concerned in trying to get a Bamiyang the golden boot than trying to get the win. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, and I suppose under the circumstances, it's fair enough. The difference between eighth and ninth is not a huge one for Arsenal Football Club. Um, <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> well, well, yeah. Uh but, um, you know, it was a great start. Um, we have to talk about the first incident in the game, and not just because it was a David Luiz long ball that set a Bamiyang sort of clearish and then his cross into the centre, but also for just for the sheer hilarity of Mike Dean being forced to give us a penalty in what was clearly against his will. <laughs> I mean, it was, it was as clear a penalty as ever. How, how could that not be a penalty? How could you need a VR check to... Give that penalty. You could already see in his eyes. Oh yeah, he is going to give one on the other side. Yeah, well, it's it, it's <laughs> it's classic, isn't it? Um, but There's that, that those photos going around, the stills from from the streams. Yeah, I mean the fact you know the fact that when Mike Dean was basically made to give the penalty, mm. he gives the penalty and then he's shaking his head and pulling silly faces, just to make sure everyone knows that he doesn't think it's a penalty. Uh, but he's been made to give the penalty by someone who's looking at it over a video. Um, but he still kind of can't quite bring him. To, like, is it just him trying to make it all about him again, or is it, or is he like, is he really bad at covering what he thinks, or is he just just you try to use any opportunity to make himself the centre of attention? Yeah, I, I I wouldn't go against that one. <laughs> uh, I will say though, I'm quite liking his. Um, his new facial hair edition, which makes it—it's it's a bit Tom Hanks from from being stuck on a desert island with a volleyball. Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm sort of quite quite enjoying that slight ho- hobo chic uh, vibe. Um, lockdown. Yeah, classic lockdown. Oh, I can grow a beard, and oh, I quite like it. <laughs> <laughs> having having not shown a beard in public in the last fifteen years or twenty years of being on. A top flight or nearly top flight referee. Um, 
So yeah, obviously we get the penalty. Oba sticks it away very nicely. Uh, then we get the second goal, which again comes uh, comes from out wide with that Pepe cross uh, via Oba making itself back to Tierney. Very slight deflection, which just made it spin even wider, but it was on target anyway. Uh, amusing that the deflection was off the defender's raised hands. So. Uh, can, can you imagine Mike Dean having to being forced against his will to give us two penalties in a match? That would have been that would have been too much. Combusting flames right there. <laughs> um, and then yeah, Watford had a you know a couple of promising positions, but then it's three nil. Yeah. And uh, Watford doing their best to show Arsenal how shit defending's done. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, us scoring from a long throw in. I mean, yeah, I mean, when was the last time we scored from a long throw? Can you even remember one? <laughs> Sorry, what was that? How Stoke is How that? How Stoke is that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's true, it's true. Rory Dellop. <laughs> Bad memories. <laughs> I think I, I don't really remember when we scored from a long throw in. Well, exactly, neither do I. I, I think Tierney's got a while to match the, the Dellap trajectory, but hey, if we if if we can, you know, the more ways we can find to create danger, the better. And it was a great finish. Yeah. And at that, and 3-0 up, it's not even half-time. It's looking like we could absolutely romp it. Watford looked like their heads were down. You know, potential golden boot for our centre forward. Um, what could go wrong? What could go wrong, yeah. Uh, well, thankfully, not everything. But uh, <laughs> obviously, there is uh, a penalty for Watford just before half-time. Yeah, David Luiz. Uh, David Luiz. Did you see the the actual replay of the penalty itself? I, I, know you I was were. watching the highlights on the Arsenal player, and they, they showed it once. So. Oh, Tried to gloss over that, did they? <laughs> um, it looked like a penalty. Well, it's one of those weird ones in that... In, uh, I sort of did my usual Twitter comment. It, it's one of those strange <laughs> ones where it's the kind of thing that... Technically, it should be a penalty, but it's a penalty that never, ever gets given. Mm-hmm. Where, where the striker's taken the shot, the ball's already gone, and then the defender catches them. So the defender has fouled the attacking player, but has not in any way affected the trajectory of the ball because he gets there after the ball and the ball's already gone straight to the goalkeeper. And it's one of those ones I've always thought, why isn't that a foul? But it's never given as a penalty. But of course, (laughs) it's Arsenal, it's Mike Dean and he owes us one. It was inevitable. (laughs) Uh, I mean, obviously the passage started with Rob Holden giving the ball away cheaply, uh, showing that he isn't quite... uh, quite Sergio Ramos when it comes to passing out from the back, or Gerard Piquet. Um, Is he still coming back from the injury as well? Yeah, yeah, he's still coming back from the injury. And I think also, I think what we've seen in recent weeks is that Rob Holding's a very good defender when he doesn't have to do anything too complicated and can and can play within the width of his penalty area. Then he's an excellent defender in that mould. Yeah, he's in a great club then. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> we've, got, we've got a few of those, as you, as you allude to. Uh, um, but when he's got to sort of be a bit more intricate with the ball at his feet, other than fairly simple passing, or he's pulled out into wide areas, he obviously looks much less comfortable. Um, and, you know, that's probably why there are rumours about him maybe not staying, having a long-term future at the club. But I guess I'm sure that depends on who else can come in and what the other situations are with the other defenders. As you mentioned, Mustafi's knackered, so no one's, someone's, no one's going to buy him over the summer. Uh, Chambers is injured, which also protects him from going anywhere over the summer. So Cross, so Cross has made it clear he doesn't want to go anywhere. 
and I'm not sure I can see anyone taking Kolasinac's wages off us unless we give him away. So uh, it might make Rob Holding a little bit vulnerable. But we're going to need him for the FA Cup final. So yeah, uh, I mean that that's one thing that. Uh made me scared <laughs> uh, when when Mustafi injury was announced and everything that Luis and holding a pair against Chelsea in the cup final yeah well I'm not sure about that yeah I mean it, um, we'll, I mean we'll talk more about the Chelsea game in just a mo but yeah it's uh I mean let's face it it's been a long time since we've been able to enter a, a big game feeling confident about the Arsenal backline, but we've still managed to somehow beat Liverpool and quite comfortably beat Man City. Uh, in, so we know that they can put in great performances. Obviously, the challenges that Chelsea present are a little bit different, um, but you know we have to take what we can, <laughs> and that's what we can take at the moment. So Troy Dini just... Twats the penalty as hard as he can. Uh, Martinez guesses where it's going but can't quite save it because it's just passed him too quickly. Um, and then the second half, I mean, if you look at the XG, it looks like Watford battered us, which isn't really a, an accurate description. It, it, it sort of more means there was a couple of times when the ball flashed across the face of the goal. They got sort of half touches on it and things. And it's also a reflection of the fact that quite a few times we got into dangerous positions and then just made the wrong choice with the final ball or didn't get a shot off or whatever. Um, but yeah, uh, Danny Welbeck, having won the penalty, gets mm. the second goal. That uh, Saar down the right wing for Watford, who I reckon a lot of teams will be looking at now they've got relegated. Uh, just showing he just being too quick for Kolasinac, playing it could come on, on the left side. Yeah, shock exactly. But then Saar is one of the quickest players in the Premier League. Um, so uh, I'm not sure, I'm not sure Kolasinac is in bad company being outpaced by him. <laughs> and then Martinez tries to get out and for the cross, misses it in, in probably one of his first significant goalkeeping mistakes of the season. And David Luiz uh, watches Danny Welbeck stroll in <laughs> and, and tap the ball into the empty net. Yeah, ball watching. I think that uh, that happened in the set piece against Aston Villa as well. When our players were caught ball watching rather than... Or when Aubameyang was caught too busy having a laugh with Tyrone Mings to actually remember to <laughs> mark him, saying that Mings got the flick on. That was slightly embarrassing footage when you saw it again, that, you know, Mings is chatting to him, but the difference is Mings is looking at the ball, so he knows exactly when the ball's coming in. <laughs> and if Amiang hasn't got a clue, because he's talking to Mings and looking at him and not looking at the ball. And then there's just that second where they're having a laugh and then Mings is off and he, he's the one that gets the flick on and ultimately leads to the goal. Um... But yeah, uh, we haven't we haven't defended crosses well for some time. Um, so it's three two. Welbs has a, a decent chance again from across from the right to get an equaliser, but his back flick isn't quite in the corner, and Martinez saves it. And you know Watford had a couple of headed chances again from crosses. Um, you know they've got they've got deep, they've got. It's just, I, I don't really know how Watford have managed to go down really. Because they've got they've got a, a decent threat in the team, but they've they've just not managed to put it together at any given time. Um, and also their defence has been shocking, I guess. Um, we had a couple of counter attacking chances. Probably should have got another, but ultimately it finished three two. So that left us in eighth place. Uh, means that Aston Villa owe us a favour. <laughs> um, and uh, what did you make of the fact that it was? Um, 
Bournemouth and Watford that joined Norwich going down. Do you have any feelings about that at all? Well, I don't mind Watford going down because I really don't like Troy Deeney. <laughs> <laughs> All of his shenanigans off, on and off the pitch regarding Arsenal and everything that has happened. I kind of feel a bit bad for Bournemouth because I did like uh, Eddie Howe and how the, you know, I feel like I hoped for much better stuff for him because, you know, he's a young, young uh, manager and everything. You want mm. him to succeed and do something uh, at the club. But, I mean, what can you do? It's, it's the curse of being called the next Arsenal manager. You know, <laughs> any British manager that's, that someone calls the next Arsenal manager tends to then go on the downward spiral, TM. Uh, <laughs> you, do you remember when Owen Coyle was being linked oh. as the next... I mean, it was ridiculous, but... And, and, <laughs> and he's, he very quickly disappeared without a trace after that. Kiss of death. Um, I am I'm excited to see... Uh, West Brom and Slavon Bilic back in the Premier League. Yeah, well, we know that Bilic is your boy. So. Yeah. Um, I haven't seen many people thrilled about that one, but <laughs> I'm happy for him. Well, I personally was gutted because it meant that Brentford didn't come up and then now Brentford have lost the first game of their playoff uh, on the back of another appalling refereeing performance from Keith Stroud, um, who managed to send, uh, send a player off who won a ball cleaning the tackle. But anyway... Uh, <laughs> But yeah, I, I guess I guess it's because we all remember West Brom as the team they were of basically Pulis or yeah. or kind of similar to Pulis, kind of let's just put as many six-footers in the team as possible uh, and play physical and defensive. Whereas that's not really what they are anymore under Bilic. They're a much more a, a attacking side. Um, so that hopefully we'll, we'll bring something to the Premier League other than just bad tackles and, and set pieces, um, which is what we've... Uh, grew to associate West Brom with. Obviously, older fans will remember West Brom when they were this exciting team of the of, uh, of of the three degrees, as they were slightly unfortunately called, of, you know, Cyril Regis and what have you. But that's quite a long time ago. Um, also, I suppose the European places were sorted, apart from, the, depending on the outcome of the FA Cup. Sadly, uh, it didn't matter that we lost to Villa because we still wouldn't have caught Spurs or Wolves unless we'd got massive goal difference differential because uh, they both finished three points ahead of us with superior goal differences um, so yeah it's from an Arsenal perspective it's all about the cup final um, yeah, no pressure down no pressure no not at all like last year <laughs> I was watching the uh, breakdown of the Watford match with mm -hmm. uh, Adrian Clark it was live after the match mm -hmm. and I like that what he mentioned that he would like the players to go out against Chelsea thinking about the chance to win silverware, to win an actual trophy, mm, to mm. break some records, you know, go down in history, rather than, oh my God, we have to secure the European spot. Yeah, totally. I mean, you know, uh, joy is a much greater motivator than fear for most people, although fear of losing is a big thing for some footballers. Um, but also, you know, Arsenal has a very special relationship with the FA Cup. Uh, yeah. In recent years, so with Chelsea, I think, I think, as I said last week, the two clubs have won 12 out of the last 20 FA Cups, mm. which is pretty mental when you think about it. Um, and uh, but it's also the fact that we know that we know that Chelsea are a more consistent team, and we know that they'll be the favourites. But equally, we also know that Arsenal will will trouble them, 
you know, since there's going to be no Eden Hazard, despite the fact that Chelsea are probably a better team than they were last season, um, they Eden Hazard did just tear us apart in that game. And they probably don't have any individuals quite as likely to have a, a singularly destructive performance. Uh, one comes to mind. Uh, well, are, are, you, are you worried about the return of the ex? <laughs> he seems to be... <laughs> hitting form. Yeah, exactly. Hitting form at just, just the wrong time. <laughs> and of course, that does mean that if Chelsea do do end up being frustrated as Man City do and just lump the ball into the box, actually, it's, they could be more dangerous doing it than Man City were able to uh, due to their lack of height in those areas. Um, so it is going to require a slightly different approach. Uh, I still think we'll we'll probably concede possession. But what, I mean, what do you think our approach is going to be for the for the cup final? Well, I think that the current forms and last few matches don't matter much in, in this match because it's a completely different competition. It's a completely different occasion. It's it's just, you know, about this one match, mm. nothing else uh, uh, happening around there. Uh, I think that we have, uh, I, I agree with you that Chelsea will definitely be the, the favourites. And I don't really mind that. I just want our team to go, go out there and, you know, do the best with what we have. Obviously, we will have Luis holding there, <laughs> mm. there at the back. I'm. There was some you know, rumors going around with uh, Bernd Leno being back from injury and ready to play in the cup final. But I would really hate that because I think Emmy Martinez definitely deserved to be there, both, you know, with like a reward for his good performances, but also the only logical thing after his all, all the great performances that he had so far. And also, he's been the cup goalkeeper as well. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, I think I think Arteta may have come. I think it was today uh, where Arteta has come out and basically said, or it may have been yesterday, that uh, all being well, Martinez will start in the final uh, because Leno's still coming back from injury. So he, that's the way he dealt with the question, rather than making it about a choice. He just sort of implied there wasn't really a choice to make, um, <laughs> which I think is probably the most sensible approach. So okay, what would your what would your starting eleven? Assuming that we get no more injuries, what would your starting eleven against Chelsea be? How bad is Bellerin's injury? Uh, don't no. know. It doesn't sound like it's particularly serious. I mean, I haven't heard anything uh, that suggests it's more than a knock. Yeah, I mean, uh, as mentioned, I didn't watch the Watford match, but there weren't many tweets complaining about Ainsley Maitland-Niles in that position. <laughs> <laughs> so I assume he was... Either okay or didn't do anything bad. So. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he had a, some. He he was a bit sort of too. Uh, what was I going to say? A bit too conservative going forward at times, particularly in the first half. But that didn't matter because we were, you know, pretty dominant in the in the first half. Um, and uh, in the second half, he had some better moments going forward. Once he sort of was was switched to a, a wing back, switching to that formation. And actually could have scored, had a left-footed shot well saved after cutting inside in the area. Um, and it's hard to hard to put make him responsible for any of the goals that we conceded. Um, so yeah, I, I don't think there's I don't think there's too much to criticise about his game. I think uh, that both either him or Bellerin are basically similar similar choices for for that position because I mean we have to be honest and say that Bellerin hasn't been. That's fantastic, as we all want him to be and remember him to be. Although I think he has improved in you know the last few games he's played. 
Well, yeah, definitely. And I mean, if if he he does have that injury, if he hasn't trained uh, over, if he doesn't train over over this week, then mm. I mean, obviously you will go with Anthony uh, Maitland Niles. But I would be okay with both of those options. Tierney on the other side, obviously, because <laughs> as opposed to playing him at left centre back. Well. Mm. <laughs> mm. Because cause, cause if you're playing him at left wing back, then that's Kalasanac in the team. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, no Kalasanac. <laughs> Please, no. <laughs> okay, yeah, then left, left centre. <laughs> okay. So... Obviously, got going Chaka, obviously. Mm-hmm. I would still go with... I mean... Dani Ceballos, definitely. He has been really good from against Watford, from what I've, I have seen. Yeah, he's he's, he's been very solid since. I mean, since he's since the lockdown has ended, he's really kind of made a good case to for a potential permanent move. I would like to see Pepe start in that match. Mm-hmm. I think he did very well against Aston Villa as well. Aubameyang, yep. obviously, yes. And and that's lacquer at centre forward. So the question mark for you is then: uh, if Tierney's at left centre half, who's playing left wing back for you? Hmm. <laughs> I'm not sure really. Well, have? I mean, do you, would you? I mean, obviously you've got Kalasnac, but we've expressed your feelings on that one. <laughs> no. uh, or you've got Bakayo Saka, or you could play Maitland Niles on the left, as was done to combat Riyad Mahrez. How did I forget Bukayo I don't know how you forget. Well, you've had a very busy time. Was <laughs> <laughs> he injured? I mean, he didn't get much game time over the last week. No, I mean, I, I guess they're you know they're probably going to protect him. He's he's you know he's played a lot of fixtures. Uh, yeah, he, I think he will get get to play against Chelsea. It's a big match. So so you'd have him you'd have him. Uh, and then Maitland-Niles on the bench to replace whoever out of Bellerin in him ties. Yeah, let's go with that. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Uh, I'd I'd actually be tempted to go the other way around, and I'd and have if Bellerin's fit to have Maitland-Niles uh, at left back with Saka on the bench to come on. Um, simply because uh, I think Maitland-Niles is a better one-on-one defender. Um, and I think also his ability to come inside might be useful for help bolstering our midfield. Given that, um, well, given that Chelsea, we know are going to play three three central midfielders because uh, that's what they've been doing all season. Uh, uh, and and I, I, I guess uh, that Arteta might try and put Lacazette on Jorginho in the same way that he did in Gundogan against Man City. To try and limit that, um, but that means you've still got two other central midfielders free, and I, I think if our if our wing backs are capable of playing inside as well as outside, that might help us. Um, and if Bellerin's not fit, then that makes it decision easy. Then you've got Maitland-Niles on the right and Saka on the left because Saka's still going to be offer you more to overall play than than Cedric will, even though Cedric is going to be the stronger defender. Um, He's crosses against Aston Villa. Really <laughs> didn't do him any favors. <laughs> well, I mean, shite crossing is a is a tradition of Arsenal fullbacks in recent years. I mean, there's been there's there's been quite a lot of that to go around amongst quite a few people. So uh, 
I'm, I'm not going to hold that against him too much at this point. We'll see if it's see if it's something that can be addressed. But um, I mean, I think we all know that Cedric Suarez is is here to be our backup right back who mm-hmm. could fill in in other positions in a crisis. Yeah. You know, that's that's his job. He seems to be reasonably content with that job. Uh, Rumours are he's taken a slight pay cut from what he was on at Southampton, but I don't know if that's true um, because they, the information hasn't really been released yet. So yeah, I, I think. Aside, aside from the fullback positions, I agree with your selection. Uh, partly because I think our team largely selects itself at the moment, <laughs> in, in terms of our best eleven. Because having a back four against Chelsea seems like a potentially suicidal option, uh, and and then that means you don't have to think about the third midfielder. Um, so I mean, I, I don't want to put you on the spot, but I'm going to. Uh, w- dare you try and predict a scoreline? Or do you just want to not answer that question at all at this point in time? You know, uh, today is Monday when we are recording this. The match is on the weekend. And if 2020 has taught me anything, things can change over uh, of one day, you know. You can, uh, Arteta can come out on the presser and say, oh, I mean, Granit Xhaka got injured in the, in the training. And I think that's just, you know, losing the match right away. But... I'm gonna go with with confidence, and because it's our competition, we we own the FA Cup. It's Emirates FA Cup after all, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm gonna go with with another win against Chelsea in the cup final. Another two-one, perhaps. Well, that sounds really doable. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, I mean, the great thing we have to look forward to is we know that Chelsea will control possession. Yeah. We know that their midfield three will rotate and give us problems. We know that Giroud will be dangerous in the air. And we know they'll put crosses into the box, particularly if they... I mean, we don't know whether they'll start uh, Alonso or Emerson on the left back. Alonso is obviously more dangerous going forward and there's a bit of previous with his maiming of Bellerin when he scored that goal at the bridge, which should never have been allowed. Um, <laughs> but we also know that Alonso really can't defend. Um, so, yeah. We also have- their keepers on our side as well. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, Kepper owes us a favour because he's been giving everyone else favours. So it's about time he threw one in the goal for us. Unless, of course, they decide to choose Caballero uh, at goalkeeper, who um, has been their cup goalkeeper this season, and and that might happen. Uh, He's one of those goalkeepers that I just don't have particularly strong feelings one way or another about. He's... Oh, I like him. I have fond memories of him from the World Cup. Because I just sort of view him as being like, okay, <laughs> you know, not a brilliant goalkeeper. You know, not not that top draw, but not a complete disaster class. Not not a complete uh, De Gea at, at Wembley. <laughs> In... We'll definitely have to use any chance that we get. Yeah, uh, but the good thing is we know that Chelsea's defence this season has been somehow even worse than ours statistically <laughs> which is extraordinary uh, but uh we we've got we've got the better strikers but they've scored more goals because they've got much more in terms of goal threat from midfield than we've had at any point this season so it's going to be it, it, i mean it's going to be quite a hard game to call because both teams can hurt each other uh, and that of course at least you know is interesting and it gives us a sense of hope you know to be underdogs against teams that you you know you could beat is is kind of uh, not the worst feeling coming into a, a big game. 
particularly as you say, with so much on the line and with the history that Arsenal have with the FA Cup. Um, yeah, it would be really nice to end the season. This really odd, <laughs> different season on a, on a high note like that, You're winning a trophy in Ateta's first half half season. <laughs> that so, would be yeah. a really nice, nice thing to build up on for the, for the next one. So just a, a quick change of pace. This is going to be a slightly shorter podcast this week, but you mentioned before we came on air uh, about the new kit launch. Yes. And so, I mean, you obviously are involved in marketing or marketing-related activity and certainly social media-related activity for your work. So I wanted to know, as someone who probably knows more about this shit than I do, uh, what, you, what you thought of not just the design of the new kit, but yes... But also of uh, you know the kit launch and the way it was presented. I think that the whole thing was really odd. I mean, <laughs> with all the all things happening over this this year, this season with the virus and everything, everything was a bit postponed. And obviously, the club, the manufacturer, the sponsors—they all had some kind of deals done much before all of this shit happened. Mm. And there were some probably some dates for for launches and everything like that. And it was really odd. I thought that, that the club perhaps could have handled things better because, I mean, we all saw the, the kit launches in Australia, available online in Singapore, and even even in the UK on the Next uh, website as well. And mm. the club, you know, just acted like as if nothing was happening. Yeah. Just pulling stuff down from the other website. There was no, no information on when the kit will be launched, no date for of launching a, a it just happened on on a random tour thursday because they want yeah we will play in this kit for the last match of the season and uh, in the fa cup final i'm still not not sure about that one because i think that as as many people i've seen uh, on social media on twitter especially were like this year's kit deserves the fa cup final performance <laughs> because yeah. this year's kit with coming back to Adidas and I think that they did really fantastic job and it would really be fantastic to play in the cup final and hopefully lift the trophy in that kit but this one really looks nice with all the concepts coming up out earlier and I wasn't too keen on it but when you see it live on on players and during the match and on the photo shoots and definitely looks different as as always does so i of course ordered it as soon as it's <laughs> addict <laughs> i hope it will arrive in time for the final <laughs> uh, you can always reliable when it needs a new kit horn she loves it uh, it was, it was so i mean there were uh, when i logged on twitter on thursday morning i've seen some pictures going around oh the new kit launches, new kit pictures, uh, Saka getting the number seven, which was mm. the story of the day. And uh, no one was talking about, you know, ordering it. Uh, Arsenal <laughs> didn't tweet about it. They didn't share on Facebook or anything. And I just didn't go. Arsenal direct. Oh, the kit is available. Let me order it. <laughs> the site wasn't crashing. I mean, last year when Adidas launched the home kit, it, everything was down for, for a whole day. And, no way to order order the kit at all and now i ordered mine without any single problem in like a minute or so it was i mean i way. i guess it's partly because last year's kit was 
you know, it was the first new Adidas kit since the changeover of manufacturers. And both the kit and the launch, they fucking nailed it last yeah. year. Like, they absolutely nailed it, you know. It was, def- it was definitely a case of give the people what they want. <laughs> uh, and... Uh, and so it was always going to go like hotcakes, you know, because of that. And also, you know, there was some of what was going on around the club at that period in time also gave gave a sense of excitement as well, uh, or potential excitement. Um, but I have to admit, on uh, I'm probably not going to buy the new kit because I don't really like it. <laughs> <laughs> That's totally okay. I mean, I like they mentioned that it's it's an uh, homage to the marble. Uh, the old old Highbury uh, things and everything from from the past and all that. So I think it, it's interesting. It, with with the old and new kit, you know, it's how can you do something with you know red shirt, white sleeves, and make it a bit different to make people buy it so it's not the same as last year. I'm sure that like fifty percent of people would be like, yeah, okay, we can have the same kit for next two seasons because it really looks fantastic but when you look from the marketing perspective the you know profit and everything yeah yeah the situation at the moment asks for for new kits every season and three different kits and all of that so yeah no i'm not criticizing i'm not criticizing the, the model you know they've got to do what they've got to do and we all understand how it works um I just don't like it as much as the one that's going out. Uh, what I will I like to criticize the away kit. <laughs> yeah. Well, the, it, now, am like I right? Am I right that the away kit is is the white one that looks like it's from a slasher film? Yes. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't. I mean, I know it's supposed to be the marble, the marbling in the thing. I mean, I haven't seen pictures of it on people. I've just seen the mock up of the or the picture of the kit. Yeah, uh, I think that no one posted. There wasn't any leaks. Yeah. Um, it's probably like different in But even though it's like as an Arsenal kit, I don't really like it. No. But I, I, I sort of quite like it as like a random piece of clothing. <laughs> <laughs> to me, it looks like you know, those random uh, FIFA kits that they sometimes <laughs> put out. It's just really not grown on me. I, I'm, you know, old school when it comes to that. I would always go with red and white home kits and yellow away kits. That's <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, that's I mean, that's definitely what I would do. And I, I'm sure come next season, I'll be deeply against it once I actually see it in the flesh in games. Um, <laughs> but I suppose it's that thing of the, we always knew they were going to change the color. Uh, I mean, don't get me wrong. I I can't see myself investing in that either because I don't like it again that much. Um, but I'm sort of like, okay, so they're they're trying stuff. We'll see how I feel about it. <laughs> I have to say, really great job from the club because uh, from this season they have uh, offered printing of women's team players. Mm, yeah. On the kids as well, and they also offering in the online shop uh, the women's authentic. Sh- version of the shirt you know the one yeah there during the match it was usually always only men's versions now it's women's obviously it costs 100 pounds but (laughs) (laughs) you have that that choice which wasn't available before yeah it's not like how it used to be where you either had to buy the men's version which obviously didn't fit quite right or some super skimpy version which was like you know 
just not a football kit. <laughs> um, so yeah, speak. You mentioned touching it briefly. I mean, what do you think, uh, Bukayo Saka, the number seven shirt? Uh, is it too soon, or are you happy with that one? <laughs> I, I liked what he said. I think it was him who said that that it's not a pressure but opportunity, and you know, for for the future to show what he can do. I think it's it's okay. And obviously, we uh, we, we had uh, Saliba getting the number four shirt. Yeah, and the outreach. Give the number four to midfielder. <laughs> <laughs> we, want it, just, we want it to be like it was in the eighties. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, it is that thing. Like me, for me, in my head, I think number seven, right wing. Number, <laughs> you know, number eleven's left wing. Number four, centre midfield. But I know that that actually hasn't been the case at our club for. It's well, I mean, also just like the, the shirt numbers are so obviously equate to position, you know, it hasn't really been the case for a lot of positions for quite a long time. <laughs> so I should just get over myself, really. I was a bit surprised that they didn't give Martinelli any number. Hmm. It's a still high one, so I was thinking maybe because it's a long-term contract and he has been so great. I mean, obviously the injury is a lot worse yeah. than it was first thought but you know, we'll see. I mean I guess I guess they were la- they were doing these kit number changes specifically for the launch and I'm mm-hmm. sure we'll see other kit number changes you know next season unless maybe some unless maybe Martinelli has chosen that number because it has a significance for him in some reason and therefore doesn't want to change like Chaco uh, is 34 yeah exactly um but I guess you know, the merry-go-round will all depend on who who comes and who goes in the summer. I like the line uh, on the Arsenal official website when they said uh, that Mohamed Elneny has agreed to give up his number for, for yeah. something. Yeah, I mean, you know, that's really good of him. Um, <laughs> nice reminder that we still have Mohamed Elneny. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you can't, you sort of think you're going, uh, I don't know about you, but I found myself sort of thinking, hmm, could... Could Arteta do something with him, do you think? <laughs> like, if he's coming back, will Arteta actually want to have a look at him and have a think if he can do something? Or will he just want him out the door? <laughs> I know, I mean, just... Arteta will definitely have a really tough job next season. Yeah, I mean, there's only... Uh, as we've already seen uh, and has been discussed, you know, uh, there's only so much turd polishing that can be done. Uh, and while that's a little cruel and unfair, um, you know, ultimately there are players that we have in the squad that cannot, and due to their age profile, probably will never be able to do what Arteta wants them to do in order to build a team that can play in the way that he wants to play. Um, what remains to be seen is, you know, how much money we got, because it doesn't sound like there's a lot, um, and obviously there's a lot of a lot of things that need fixing. Obviously, the FA Cup has a significant impact on that but you know will the Cronkies you know invest because or will, or will they uh, hope that it can be turned around without investing because it's it's a tricky one for them because obviously they you know they've they've restructured the debt and taken it on themselves to try and make things more flexible for the club and it's it's one of you know an investment at this stage is a risk because if you I'm sure that that banner flying over <laughs> Made them change their minds. <laughs> yeah, Christ. There's I forgot a... about that. You just reminded me when you mentioned them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, 
Uh, also, like, back Arteta, Kroenke's out. It's like, well, who else is going to be backing him if they're... <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, it's all pitching. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Do you want to crowd uh, go fund me this? <laughs> you know, ultimately, if there's anyone you want to be backing Arteta, it's the Kronkies, because they're the only ones who can actually make a difference at this point. It should be Kronky, uh back Arteta. Please. <laughs> Please, yeah. <laughs> really, no, really, please. Yeah. Um, because I mean, we're a classic club. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, at, at, at least I suppose it's you know, it's it's a banner that is limited to slagging off someone who lives in America rather than someone who's actually putting their life and soul into the club every day of their life. <laughs> um, so it's it's a step in the right direction. Um, I mean, I don't want to go into this too deeply because we'll have loads of time to do it over the summer. But uh, just quickly wanted to ask, you know, the 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 leadership group, uh, the the great minds have been have taken a lot of criticism in recent months. Um, you know, we're talking Edu, Raul, Vinay, and whatever input Arteta may have. Um, I guess my question to you would be: Do are you in agreement with those that? Are really worried about what they will do, or do you think that some of the criticism they've received is unfair? You know, where where do you stand on that? Because opinion seems quite polarized. I would like to think that they would listen to Arteta and you know invest in the team, but I think that they will continue working with the, those few super agents that they are good with, and we will just have to you know see what they have and make the best deals possible in, in in around that. I would like to see them work harder on securing new deals and getting rid of the players that are sucking out the, the wage bill. Mm. And I wouldn't mind being out of Europe for, for the next season and build on perhaps, you know, adding a few more younger players that don't have a high price tag and high wage requests uh, around them and have Arteta build the team that he actually wants so, but, without you know, spending a lot. But don't you feel that absence to Europe might confirm the departure of our star striker? Hmm. Well, yeah, that's definitely something that <laughs> that is a bit worrying when it comes to that, but I'm sure that we can work on that from, from within. I mean, Aiden Ketia is still pretty young it would be tough to you know put him uh, on spot mm, and mm. count on him there but i personally wouldn't mind something like that and uh yeah i mean because i find it quite interesting because a lot of the public opinion seems to have decided that because of their relationship with kia jurabshin and because um you know some of the more recent transfer businesses has been shall we say, not what people were hoping for, you know, the renewing David Luiz, Pablo yeah. Marie getting signed with very little evidence as to one way or another, Cedric Suarez getting a four-year contract despite having never played for the club at that point in time. Um, obviously, there's a lot of criticism associated with that, uh, which has also led to a lot of people to revisiting last year's transfer business. You know, there's a lot of people that are very critical about the amount in the Pepe transfer and was it buying the players and in the positions that we need. Um uh, and and I'm sort of interested in that because I I think that most of the transfer business they've done to date has been decent actually. 
Uh, it might it might not have been the decisions I would have made, but I, I can't sort of looking back say that they were bad decisions. Mm. Um, you know, Tierney's obviously been a good signing, but then I was a massive Kieran Tierney fan anyway. Uh, and uh, Ceballos hasn't been quite what we'd hoped, but perhaps might be in the process of turning into something very useful other than what we hoped for. Um, Martinelli obviously has been a great success so far. Pepe, a lot of money, but uh, he's starting to show that he can impact on games on a regular basis. If he can continue to grow, you know, maybe there's a, a very significant contributor there. And... Um, yeah, Saliba's, uh, you know, he's going to be coming in and he he's getting these glowing reports in France. Again, we have no idea how he's going to drop into the Premier League and, and adapt to that. We sure as hell need him to be successful. <laughs> but certainly, you know, the profile of the player and what, what the feedback is seems to suggest that he's going to bring something that we need. So And obviously David Luiz, you know, was a bit of a last-minute trolley, trolley dash last season because when Koscielny went, we just needed a senior defender. Uh, and I, I mean, I'd put Louise down as a meh signing. You know, he seems to bring a lot off the, peel, the field. His on-pitch performances have been inconsistent, but, you know, if he puts in a performance as good as he did against Man City in the semi-final, again in the final, then then he'll have been worth his, his, his fee and his wages, won't he? I mean, ultimately, if he helps us, makes a significant contribution in us winning that game, then all the criticism should really die off in that particular direction, because it would be a massive boost for the club. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I guess what I got from all the things that you, all the signings that you have mentioned now, they are like 50-50 uh, when it comes to signings, those that we still have to see if they are improvements or not. Mm, With mm. Pablo Maris, Eric Suarez, William Saliba, Pepe, I mean, he has been improving, but still you expect him to shine next season. Probably. mm, mm. mm. Yeah, I, I, you know, understandably, because the level of impatience is built up over such a period of time, and when you spend money on a that kind of money on a player like Pepe, then you expect big things. Um, Fernandes comes to mind. Sorry, what was that? Bruno Fernandes comes to mind. Yeah, I mean, obviously he's he's stepped in and and had a massive impact on Manchester United. Uh, I mean, his even his set piece delivery alone has 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 made a massive difference to that club. Um, as is his ability to fall in and around the penalty area with limited contact, <laughs> which is which, as we know, is something that has, has been historically always a big part of Manchester United football. <laughs> um, but yeah, there's no doubt that he has been the missing link for them. But of course, it's a lot easier to be the missing link when actually, you know, most of the players he has to combine with in the where he plays in the pitch are really, really high quality players. <laughs> you know, I mean. I'm sure it'd be a, a, a lot easier for uh, Pepe to look good if we'd had peak Mesut Ozil in the team or Fabregas, for instance, you know, providing the bullets and, and what have you. Um, so, you know, United have been trying to build a cohesive midfield at vast expense for a long time, and they finally found someone that seems to work. Uh, but they, you know, to use an analogy, they kissed a lot of frogs before they found their prince. Um uh, well, the last thing, just before we wrap up, I mean, just on the subject of transfers, again, there's no point going into it in detail. We'll touch on this more as, as we'll do a proper like squad review and whatever once the season's over, because some of our opinions might be informed by the FA Cup result. And of course, our spending budget will be informed by the FA Cup result. But um, 
what did you make of uh, the fact that uh, Wilfred Zaha uh, still wants to leave Palace and Roy Hodgson expects ex- seems to be more resigned to him leaving this time? I wouldn't go for Wilfred Zaha. And uh, I don't disagree with you, but I want to know why you think that. <laughs> I mean, he's he's okay, but I'm I wasn't sold on him last season. I'm not. I'm even less sold on him this season. I would rather invest. I mean, especially if they are still asking for that much money as they did last season. Well, if they were asking eighty million for him, then no one's going to buy him for that. <laughs> I would much rather go with someone younger. Yeah, fair enough. And I suppose we would say that unless there are departures, it's not exactly a position of massive priority for us. Yeah. Uh, I, I'd say the only way I could see Arsenal even looking in that direction is if if Aubameyang leaves. Not that Zaha's going to, you know, replace those goals, but he's someone who can be a very a very interesting player tactically coming in from the left hand side, um, and it and it would change the balance of the attack. It would probably allow Pepe to more play a slightly more inside forward role in, a, in an attacking three rather than having to, you know, when we play uh, a 4-3-3 three, three, then he tends to be pushed slightly wider to make up for the fact that our fullbacks can't push on quite as much but yeah, like you I don't think it makes a lot of sense strategically much as I like the player um, but I just thought seeing as that's come out in the last couple of days we should touch on it um, I have to say, also say that uh, Troy Deeney has been very magnanimous about Arsenal in defeat <laughs> you know, with Watford being going down, he did actually come out in a, a post-match and and said that you know the Arsenal players had actually been pretty good about everything. Uh, you know, uh, sort of during and after the match. Uh, what was his? What was he said? He said, you know, all their players have been great on and off the pitch, and you wish them well. Uh, we wish that we wish them well for next week. So, uh, a, a nice full circle, seeing as you know, since he since he he cornered us. Uh, <laughs> He's managed to miss a penalty against us, get sent off against us, and then be relegated by us. So, um, yeah, uh, I, I guess, uh, I guess perhaps uh, you know it, it might stop him shouting his mouth off a little bit. But uh, sure. it's sad to see Welbs go down. Uh, yeah. But uh, and a nice little photo of him and Emmy Martinez. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, uh, I mean, Danny Welbeck's one of those players that you just want to do well because he's such a likable character and he's had such terrible, terrible luck with injuries. You know, he's missed almost, he's missed about three years of his career, yeah. uh, if not more. And key points of his career when he, you know, every time he started looking like he might be able to have a major impact at Arsenal, he That's got seriously injured. And then he went to Watford where you think, okay, not as big a club, but he can have a big impact for them. He can play lots of games for them and he's been injured for most of the season. Um, you know, and similarly with Watford, they really, really missed Gerard Delefeo, don't they? I mean, he was yeah. he was a massive player for them, and his injury has basically has been what's led to their relegation. Well, that and the fact that they keep changing their manager every five minutes and can never seem to actually get one that makes sense with the players they've got. Like Pearson worked for a bit, but at the same time, you're looking at going Nigel Pearson football and Watford squad. I don't see it, but anyway. <laughs> Uh, and and what a hospital pass to Hayward Mullins. Right, uh, we've got to desperately try and avoid relegation. We've got a couple of games left. The team's playing like rubbish. Got half our squad injured. Do you, how's, how do you fancy your first job in management? <laughs> <laughs> Here's your big break. Um, but anyway, it'd be interesting to see what Watford do because obviously they're part of that. You know, they're part of that ownership group that also Unai and Evan interest in 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 La Liga as well. Um, 
you know, Watford became the destination for players who they were building up elsewhere because the Premier League has more value attached to it. But that may change, uh, and it's going to be sort of interesting and, and perhaps worrisome times for Watford ahead. But we shall watch this space. Um, I don't know about you, but I think we've done everything there is to do this week. <laughs> I think so, yeah. We promised not, not an epic podcast. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And we've just passed the hour mark, so I think that's a good time to knock it on the head. Okay, well, thanks again, listeners, if you've got this far. Uh, I hope you're having a good week and that the week gets better for all of us, particularly at the weekend. Uh, as ever, get, if you've got any questions or anything you want to get in touch with, get in touch with us as at Daily Canon on Twitter. That's at Daily Canon on Twitter. Nothing else to say except thank you, Anita, as always. A joy to have you to talk to. It was my pleasure. And thank you again, listeners. Have a lovely week. And uh, let's extend that FA Cup winning record. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.